Hello, and welcome to the Measure Up podcast, a show dedicated to helping marketers and analytics professionals know what's working, what's not, and how to measure it all. I'm your host, Jim Genulio. Listen along as I talk to people just like you who are dealing with the marketing measurement challenges in today's world and learn best practices, tips, and actionable advice. Welcome to the Measure Up podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gen- uh, Simon. Uh, um, wh- what are you still doing here, buddy? Ah, uh, uh-huh. you're the guest podcast. The guest last episode. I, I yeah. Sure. No, I uh, honestly, I don't know about you, but I had such a good time. I honestly thought, hey, why not just uh, hang out a little bit? Maybe uh, I don't know, make myself a latte. See who you're going to interview next week. Yeah, uh, you know, just see what might happen. Sure. The you know the more the merrier. Um, but since you're here, do you want to be my co-host? Oh, Jim, thought you'd never ask. With our powers combined, we will measure up. Ah, all right. I'll be here all week, folks. And I think in perpetuity. Uh, but this is going to be fun. Uh, hopefully, uh, folks will get more of my obscure 90s references as I uh, find. Yeah. Captain Planet. Captain Planet is- there's the reference there it is i love that absolutely <laughs> gonna take data blow down to zero that's right <laughs> awesome well who do we have this week what's going on well you know simon i'm glad you asked today we're talking about marketing measurement education oh. how we learn it what we learn how to deal with teaching and learning technical subjects effectively now I don't know about you, Simon, but I'm no expert in pedagogy. Uh, a what? I had to look up how to pronounce the word to make sure I said it right because yeah. I thought it was pedagogy, but apparently it's pedagogy according to Google. I imagine there's a group of eighth graders around there preparing for the next spelling bee that know how to spell it though. So probably, yeah. Uh, maybe consult with them. But well, yes, fortunately, you know, we're we're lucky to be joined by someone who knows a thing or two about uh, a thing or two. Um, and uh, his name is Miles Younger. He's the head of innovation and insights at U of Digital, where he leads new product development, tech services, and thought leadership to help scale the company's educational offerings to new formats, new learners, and new markets. He's been in the advertising industry for nearly 20 years, spanning client side, agency side, even founding a dynamic ads platform that was successfully acquired. He also offers up plenty of spicy takes on Twitter, like disc golf stores are the vape store of sporting goods. And- Ooh. Apparently, you can't get a good uh, Italian sub on the West Coast. Oh, they well, add, let's discuss. They add mayonnaise in addition to the oil and vinegar, which is just disgusting. And yes, oh. I went way back in your Twitter timeline, Miles, to to find those gems, by the way. Uh, thank you for doing so. This is, uh, <clears throat> you're, you're brightening my day by reading me my old tweets. Uh <laughs> I, I bet you didn't know that you were running for publicly elected office today, and then we're here to do the the vetting of you. Well, I just I so many petty grievances, you know, that, that I harbor. <laughs> there's there's some good ones in there. There's you got to go back and look at them. But uh, welcome to the podcast to the Measure Up Podcast, Miles. Um, the main uh, the main theme of uh, the episode today is technical and, and marketing measurement education. But before we dive into that, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are, and some of the work that uh, you of digital is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad to. And, and thanks for having me on. This is great. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned in my intro, I've been working in marketing and advertising for around 20 years. I think technically my my career started in, in 2004. So I think maybe we're more like 19 years at this point. Um, you know, I, I had a pretty typical kind of start in B2B uh, corporate marketing uh, it, within, you know, tech companies. I worked for Wells Fargo for a little while, just kind of bounced around. And then in uh, what? 2008, uh, I started a small company called Can Banners. It started out as a Flash-based banner ad builder, uh, which was a fairly novel concept at the time to uh, build banner ads, aka display ads, uh, using kind of pre-built templates uh, and, and really trying to introduce a lot of efficiency into the ad creative process. Um, that didn't scale super well, uh, obviously, with Flash being killed. I don't even remember what year it was now. Uh, the, you know, that that aspect of it had kind of a short lifespan. It got into um, dynamic ad serving, uh, pivoted the business over to dynamic ad serving, which did much better. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I built that platform hands-on. And so, you know, kind of got a really close look at, you know, so to speak, how the sausage is made uh, within the world of ad tech, and and that was really interesting. That got me just into the you know the world of ad tech, the ad tech community, uh, and I've kind of never looked back from there. Uh, and then uh, after uh, I sold that business, I went to work for a company called Mighty Hive, which later got uh, merged into S4 Capital, aka Media Monks, which is what it's now called. And um, I ended up kind of taking on a, a bit of a, an explainer role uh, inside of uh, Mighty Hive and, and, and Media Monks. And it was, it was very interesting because on the one hand, it was very kind of gratifying uh, work to kind of be like, oh, you know, Miles, he can explain this thing. He understands how it works and he can put it into, you know, plain English. And, and, and that was very kind of gratifying to be in that role. But it definitely uh, exposed to me how big of a need that is in the industry that, um, you know, you're operating at the intersection of, you know, massive uh, technology companies, massive changes in the way that advertising is bought and sold, massive changes in consumer technology. And uh, it was very interesting to observe the extent to which um, just basic uh, education and, and just being conversant on topics was such a big um, inhibitor, frankly, to call it progress, but you know, uh, uh, at, at a tactical level, you might, and I, you talk to people out in the industry uh, about this and you get a lot of head nods of like, oh, you know, I bet you sit on the same sort of call over and over again, possibly even with the same people I explaining the same topics to them, the same concepts to them over and over and over, uh, kind of on this ad hoc basis and sort of talking in circles. And that was just a very interesting observation. And so, I, uh, I joined UF Digital almost a year ago now uh, and essentially decided to put the, you know, I guess my particular, my individual power of explanation to use via a company that exists solely to explain and to educate. Uh, and so that brings me forward to the, the, the present day. Uh, and that's what UF Digital does. We, um, we educate and we train uh, teams across the digital marketing, advertising and media landscape. Uh, essentially on whatever big topics are affecting their business either today or, or, or in the future. That's awesome. And you, by the way, you are such a prolific poster out there on LinkedIn and, and Twitter, obviously, as, as we know. It's from, an addiction. As, 
those hot takes on hot sandwiches. Uh, but the, the, <laughs> the, the, the piece of it though, is, you know, I, I, I really first started getting in your orbit. Um, well, I guess uh, several years now, but, um, really, uh, a lot of the things that you'd post really made me think. And, and I think that you do a really great job of democratizing a lot of this information. Uh, and, and, you know, I think Thanks. Th- th- this is all platitude of, uh, you know, uh, that those who can't do teach and i'm like i really i think it's the other way around like it's it's if you're a doer you're you're seldom a teacher and and there's almost like this this degree of just like sort of uh knowledge hoarding not because people don't want to share but because they don't know how that it's like when you teach yeah. someone to ride a bike you're not going hey um you know put like you know put your feet on both these pedals and do x y and z and that is you know it's just like stop going but you're so good about breaking these pieces down and making it, I think, very accessible to, you know, CMOs, but also various other levels and organizations. And uh, I always do the, what I call the my mother test. And it's, could I explain it to my mother? Uh, and if I can't, then I'm probably overcomplicating it. And I think you absolutely excel at the my mother test. Uh, well, that's really kind of you to say. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I think what you pointed out with the, uh, you know, those who can't do teach, I think you're absolutely right, is that those who can do are also able to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that most of the, most of the teaching in our industry happens in contexts where it's not, it's not treated as teaching. Nobody knows that it's teaching. Like for instance, if you get on a call and you're trying to explain a new technology or new methodology to a client or a partner, and in order to get them to the point that they have any context for this new methodology you have to do 20 minutes of sort of backstory and yeah. sort of get them up to the present day you're teaching in that time and but nobody regards it as such and and then you get on another call and you're possibly having to you know cover the same territory again because this group of people also lacks that same context and so i think one of the things that you know holds back the doers from teaching is a lack of any systematic approach or mm-hmm. sort of any structure to it. Because once you start putting some structure to it, I mean, this is what we do at Digital. but once you start putting some structure to it, it's totally possible for the doers to teach. And they make the best teachers because they have the best hands-on knowledge. They're mm-hmm. the best at answering um, questions sort of off the cuff uh, and thinking on their feet through a topic. Uh, and it can be really, really uh, you know valuable to learn from doers. But Doers are kind of constrained by, honestly, just lack of lack of resources and 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 lack of a, a, a system to to educate people. Yeah, I, I would say even I would take it further and say that teachers are the best doers, right? Because you know I, I learned a decade ago when uh, you know we used to do uh, Google Analytics um, in class, you know, in person classes. We used to teach uh, Google Analytics classes back in the Lunametrics days. And, you know, the first time you teach a class and you have like 30, 40, 50 people staring back at you and you're the person at the front of the room who has to teach it, like, it's terrifying. And it really forces you to know it. Like, mm-hmm. you have to know it. There's no, you know, <laughs> hiding in the corner and, and uh, getting away from it. Like, you, like first couple of cl- times you teach, it, it can be rough. But then, like, every question that someone asked that you didn't know the answer to, like, you're going and you're looking it up and you're figuring it out, like, to really be able to teach something, you you have to know it inside and out. And so, like, yeah, the teachers, at least at least in this space, right in this in this topic area that we're talking about, like those are the ones who <laughs> really have to understand it. And and, and Miles, you, you you touched on something there, which was, um, you know, the the doers can teach, but they need a framework, they need a, a methodology. Yeah. What does that look like? Like, it's like writer's block. It's, it's like teacher's block, I guess, almost. Right? It's 
I know all these things. How do I disseminate this information with you with just like without info puking and without jumping ahead and going, oh, well, in order to understand this, we're going to go back to 1983 and I got to tell you about this thing. And you're like, okay, yeah. this makes sense to you who already knows this, this content, but to an you know, untrained observer, they're just like, I don't understand anything here. Everything's jumping around. That's confusing. That's really, a, I think, a, probably a sensation a lot of our listeners have. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, this is something that I'm, I'm actively working on at, at U of Digital. I, I wish I had kind of more specifics to share or some kind of magical playbook. We're not there quite yet, but we do this a lot with, um, uh, you know, the experts who come in and uh, teach our workshops is, you know, we, we don't just sort of like pitch them in front of, you know, 30 people on a Zoom workshop and just say, oh, hey, go. Uh, uh, there's, there's definitely structure to it. Uh, and there's definitely like, you can, you can make, uh, the, you know, the act of, uh, teaching a particular, like, uh, the domain or, or, or body of knowledge or whatever, pretty systematic and pretty formulaic. Um, um, you know, it's most people don't think in terms, it's a lot of it is honestly like storytelling and most people, you know, aren't walking around thinking about storytelling frameworks. Um, but you know, whenever I do like an onstage presentation, the first thing I do is I go back to my past onstage presentations and just copy the, the agenda. Yeah. Uh, previous, uh, he was just, way smarter than Karen. You, that's how I yeah, feel no, all the time. Like I wrote this me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm wondering. I, I, if there's one thing I've learned at this point in my life, it is never discount the wisdom of past miles he's, absolutely he's usually, he's usually pretty spot on um uh, although i will no, say one of the hardest things is like i'll be dealing with it i'll be struggling with the topic and i'll google it and i'll look at the first result and it's an article that i wrote and i'll be like oh i know i didn't ask the question then and there's no other good results what's going on see i have the opposite problem i always think future me is going to be so so much smarter <laughs> Which is why, you know, I don't comment my code and I, I leave yeah. things oh, no. because, you know, future me, future me can figure that out. He's so smart. Oh, yeah. That's oh. called the future gym. Yeah. <laughs> but nothing, nothing will make a person feel stupider than their own uncommented code from <laughs> yeah. yesterday. What yeah. kind of maniac compiled this? <laughs> uh, I love it. But I know also, Jim, I just jumped in and started going off, off piece there. Uh, and I, I know, know you just, had actually some structure. So back to you as, as the teacher. Or the question, the interview. Yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, you know, we don't have to have structure. It's kind of nice to be freeform, but uh, we do have a couple of areas to to dive into in case we ran out of things to talk about. And uh, one of those, uh, Miles, I know is near and dear to your heart, which is sort of the nature of learning and knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, with regards to, you know, marketing measurement and analytics and some of these technical topics, how do you think about um, sort of that that underlying like what is the nature of learning like what does that mean for us to learn marketing measurement to learn analytics yeah yeah i mean it, there's just if i'm thinking about like digital marketing analytics you know as one of the things that i immediately gravitate to is like just how the data is collected um uh, you know i think it, a lot of we call them whatever business users, you know, you might look at a report or a dashboard or something and not entirely. Well, what you really run into challenges with is you have somebody who is essentially upstream at the data. So they are, I don't know, tagging a site or something like that. They're basically working at the origin point of the data. And 
they're, they don't have enough knowledge or context to kind of tip over all the dominoes down to the point that the data is like actually con consumed and, and, and put to productive use. At the same time, the person who is furthest downstream at that point where they're, they're putting the data to some productive use, so the analytics to some productive use, they don't have the knowledge of the context to go all the way back upstream. And I think partly this is just, again, it's the fact that there are, there haven't really, nobody's really taken a systematic approach to resolving those two, um, those two ends of the spectrum, if you will. And there's a lot of things in between. Um, but you've got education or resources or whatever content marketing that's very, very focused on, uh, all of those things that happen sort of furthest upstream, like at the point of origin for the data. And there's lots of technology and things that happens up there. It's very, very technical. Uh, and then you've got, uh, some resources and stuff that focuses more on the downstream, uh, side where things are more strategic, maybe more sort of metric or KPI oriented or, 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 uh, you know, more business oriented. And I don't, I just, I haven't seen like a lot of, um, um, organizations or, or, or people try to connect those two things. I think partly because it's, you know, these are respective sort of markets and, and, uh, there just hasn't been a huge need to connect these things up. Um, but when I think about, when I think about it, sort of the nature of, learning and education with respect to like digital analytics, digital measurement, I, I really do start to think about the challenge of getting somebody who's at either end of the point of origin of the data or the use of the data and getting them to be able to understand that entire chain of custody in either direction. That is, I mean, look, that is, the, the, that is a very real challenge. Um, and for what it's worth, it's one that I think is getting uh, even more uh, eyes on it at this moment in time as we see uh, challenges to signal quality as we as we see um, quite honestly a, a more um, data uh, a, a, a C team or you know a marketing leadership with a greater desire to actually get to the point to to, to get to that point of utilization um, which I think is just that's the industry in general as we've been as we've been growing and so forth um, but is there anything in that scenario, I look at that and go, well, it sounds like there needs to be more education in that. But is there anything that's sort of like inherently unique to teaching data practice or, or teaching within the space that, you know, makes it a challenge? Because to your point, like, it's hard to yeah. connect these dots. Why, why aren't it, folks doing it? So <clears throat> the one of the number one things that leaps to mind, and this is something I, I turn over in my head often, is uh, in the digital world. So like one of these questions, yeah, that we all ask ourselves is, why is this so challenging? Uh, why was it perhaps not as challenging with older forms of traditional media, whatever? And one of the um, challenges that is unique to digital, and this is true at either end of the spectrum, but I'll pick on the sort of data originators, uh, mm. uh, if, if I may, is that you can collect um, a theoretically infinite amount of data, even on mm -hmm. like a single web page. You could set up many different dimensions of uh, uh, analytics that you could be collecting just from a single web page, single user, single session. There's a million different things you could collect. And there's really nothing, um, there's really nothing stopping you because it's digital. Like there's, there's no physical constraint to how much information you could collect. And so- I you feel know, like Scott Ellison is sitting there going, no, the limit of what Google Tag Manager can store is X. There is a finite <laughs> yeah, amount of the, 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 the storage space. <laughs> 
And if you're hitting memory limits in yeah. Google Tag Manager, maybe you're you're, you're, you're cracked too much, probably. Yeah, he's kind of the, the takeaway from that. Guilty as uh, that's when you load a secondary yeah. Google Tag Manager container within the first one. Nest of GTM. <laughs> I've had no, well, it payloads exceed the volume before. I'm sorry. Jim. Oh, it all comes <laughs> out. Jim is an undercover data order. <laughs> Well, and, and to pick up people at the other end of the spectrum, there is no that you can generate a a, a a theoretically infinite number of uh, reports and data cuts, and you can get kind of you know analysis paralysis. There, there's there's again, there's no constraints at that end either, and so you know you essentially almost have this sort of like maybe hourglass shape of like infinite possibility on the origin of data, then infinite uses of data. And so people have just kind of gotten sucked into their respective mm. rabbit holes at either end of that spectrum where the technologists and the people who, you know, work every day, hands on keyboard in MarTech platforms or analytics platforms or ad tech platforms have gone way, way down a rabbit hole on optimizing those platforms kind of disconnected from the actual sort of practice of marketing and advertising, which really is not a button pushing exercise. It's it's more art yeah. and science, really. And then you got people at the other end of the spectrum, business users, who are just off on the deep, who've gone off the deep end, kind of customizing dashboards again, mm-hmm. sort of navel gazing in in dashboard world, um, utterly disconnected from kind of the practice of marketing and advertising. So I, I think that's one reason is it just there's a, an infinitely deep pool you can dive into mm. in either one of those ends, and so yeah. then. It's it's nobody wants to build that bridge because we're like, oh I'm happy just kind of like maybe gazing right. at, at my end and I don't really care what the other end is doing. Yeah, so it, it, yeah, no, that's so interesting. It's just it is infinitely deep, and therefore there's there's no floor to, to, to that for a lot of folks. So I, I think to your point, they do yeah. spend a lot of time in, in those weeds. Ah, so interesting. Yeah, I feel like it's one of these things where you know if you go back twenty years, maybe thirty, maybe twenty five years, thirty years, something. Um, like back when websites were new, this new technology. Back when Captain Planet was on TV. Yeah, exactly. Those are the days. <laughs> After school, you rush home to watch Captain Planet. Absolutely. Um, but no, like back in the day when you had like a webmaster and they did the data collection and they did the analysis and they created some dashboards and they did it all because like they were the only person who knew how. And, you know, as, mm-hmm. as things kind of matured and evolved, you know, you you could get into more specialization. So you don't just have a single mm. webmaster who does everything because they do know how to do all those things. Maybe maybe they're not super business savvy, but they're maybe probably a little bit more on the tech side. They know how to code and do all that kind of stuff. But then as you know, as as, as it's matured and things have specialized, you have like the coder and you have the the analytics person who's tagging the site and the analytics person who's in the dashboards and then the BI person who's kind of doing the more business analysis and and the more specialization that occurs, the more fragmentation there is and the more bridges you need to build between those people to kind of, you know, bridge those gaps in knowledge. Or, or you know, there's a necessity for the, the business user to to learn a little bit about the how the data is collected and the limitations yep. and all of that. And, or the, the person who's tagging the site to understand the needs of the business user and what kinds of questions they're trying to answer, right? So like, I feel like you could go a couple of ways, right? You could either try to educate the the, the specialists, or you could educate a, a person who acts as a bridge between them, to doesn't need to have that deep knowledge, but knows enough about both topics to be able to kind of interpret and, and translate. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Th that's another like frame that that I put uh, sort of. I don't know what you would call it. Just our entire industry in often is um, <clears throat> just putting everything on a timeline and sort of tr try to unpack why why things are the way they are by going back, you know, through that timeline to remind ourselves of how we got to, you know, where we are today in 2023. And, you know, you whatever, go back to the mid nineties, let's call it. And the advent of kind of the consumer internet. And so, you know, like what was the first thing, you know, I guess it was like websites and maybe some basic HTML and uh, maybe whatever running, uh, you know, web server off your home computer, then, you know, maybe email and then what comes after that, like maybe search or banner ads. And then what comes after that? And, you know, and eventually, I don't know, you have mobile, uh, then you have video and you have social and none of these things happened at once. So like businesses and people in their job roles never needed that sort of uh, broader domain knowledge because everybody just existed in their silo for a certain number of years. I mean, you can still exist in silos, but uh, as things sort of start to converge upon one another, um, you know, I think there is like now a, a heightened need for um, going across domains, uh, kind of going across ecosystems because you know, we're now at a point where a lot of those things that were able to exist in uh, almost completely independent silos for years and years and years are now um, having to integrate with other, you know, different marketing channels or having to integrate with one another. Things are blending together. Technologies are kind of blended together and being integrated. Um, and so it, I, I think there are a lot of uh, businesses out there that are sort of facing this question of like, oh, wow, you know, after whatever, a quarter century or 30 years of, um, you know, the internet, uh, suddenly we've got all these organizational silos, technology silos, you know, mental silos that, uh, just, it just doesn't work that way anymore. It worked that way, you know, 15, 20 years ago when it just doesn't work that way anymore. Well, it's such an interesting, um, idea as you're talking through that, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, how do cities form and a city doesn't just, some cities just grow up out of like, they're fully planned, but most aren't right. There's some yeah. organic, the little town and we'll call that, um, data capture town. We'll call it Webmaster Town. And then there was a little town over here, and we'll call that Econometrics Town. And over time, both of those towns have just grown and grown and grown until you've now said, well, we're kind of interconnected. And, and yeah. you know, if you were to redesign Analytics City from the ground up, you probably wouldn't put them in these weird little locations and have right. these little bridges that they form. And, you know, yeah, some people move between the cities, but there really is no sort of centralized government that they're all responsive to, right? Yeah. From an urban planning point of view, I look at that and say, well, that's why your roads uh, you know, go in these weird directions. That's why you've got a one-way system that doesn't work. I think that is very analogous to the way that the modern yeah. data organization is, has grown because it was it was organic and it was falling forward. And there was always this just, hey, there's, there's these new novel things that we're going to do. But it was never from this over, overarching comprehensive architecture point of view. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I, uh, Portland, where I live in Portland, Oregon, is uh, full of those little spots where you can see where one neighborhood grew this way and another yep. neighborhood grew that way. And yep. the street never quite met up. And so the um, jog in the street of like, if you're driving, you have to be like quick and like, yeah, oh, jog to the right, jog. Uh, this is nightmare. <laughs> They're suddenly going, why is everything off by 10 feet? This is, you know, 10% more accidents happen here. And I think that you can make the case too, like, 10% more data loss happens here in organizations because you built the pipes independently and there was never a comprehensive plan to build a tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the, I think, 
things driving the need for better education and more, say, holistic education, you know, uh, whatever, just in a basic sense of bridging the technology side with the business side, uh, is the fact that like the, you know, the technology and organizational debt uh, that, that has accumulated over 20 to 30 years, I, I think is now reaching a point where organizations are having a hard time absorbing very much more of it. Like yeah. you can only absorb so much of it until you have to start to pay down some of that debt from the past. You're never going to fix all of those things overnight. Um, but, you know, let's face it, like 20 to 30 years of the internet is a long time. Yeah. Like, you know, this isn't like, oh, whatever, five years of tech debt, no big deal. Like, no, we're talking multiple decades at this point. We actually yeah. spanning two two centuries, people. Uh, uh, you know, Do and so- Do tag management around for a decade at this point? I think it may have. Oh. Which makes me feel very old if that is the case. Because I remember when it came out thinking, oh, this is amazing. And now I'm, I'm thinking it has probably been 10 years. At least. I think I, I think I first became aware of it in probably about 2014. But that was just me. It could have predated that, but I know at least 2014. To the internet. I'm checking right now. Um, oh, very good, very good. <laughs> hey, I, rem I remember being super happy that um, Google Tag Manager got, um, uh, because it's it was it was originally free, right? That was like one of its big claims it to fame, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I remember being really thrilled about that because um, I was still running my dynamic ad server and like we, you know, I gave tags to all my clients to deploy and yep. like it was just really cool that they now, you know, had a, I, and I realized there was other competing tag managers at the time, but, you know, being free was a big, uh, a big deal. And I just remember being really happy that they had some actual system <laughs> for you know, doing their tag management and, and, yeah. and you know, building up a, a data layer and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was that was huge for me because my platform ran on tags. That was where all the data collection happened. Yeah, Google Tag Manager yeah. is about to celebrate its birthday. It's 12th birthday on October 1st. Oh, oh wow. All right. Wait, no, sorry. Good timing. 11th, 11th birthday because, you know, math and numbers. Yeah. 11th birthday. <laughs> 11th. All right. All right. 11th. Yes, well, still, yes, yes. It's more than a decade. Good thing this isn't about math and data. Uh, right. <laughs> no, I no, I don't know if that happens to either of you, but uh, folks within my organization, they'll, they'll come to me and say, you're the data guy, Simon. Here's some quick calculations. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to let you know right now that like uh, arithmetic and basic addition and subtraction is not my strong suit. Like I, I, I've reached a point where I'm like, uh, a, a calculator is required for everything, right? An Excel oh, yeah. is required for everything. Oh, yeah. Even the most basic mathematics, I'm like, wait, yeah. what is the percentage? It's one over two. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I can't do any of that stuff anymore. Right. My, exactly. my nine-year-old is like better at math. Than <laughs> but you're the data guy. Speaking about uh, how to teach complicated subjects like yes. math and arithmetic. Mm. <laughs> you like that segue? That was just I kind do. of that was, back that was smooth. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, Ad tech, martech, marketing analytics, uh, these are, you know, I don't know where you would rank them in terms of uh, difficulty to learn, right? There are certainly complex topics, right? You could go everywhere from like coding to statistics to machine learning. Mm -hmm. You could, could kind of encompass a broad array of things there. But just generally speaking, like, do you have a sense for, like, how complicated is it to learn the kinds of topics that we we generally care about here on the show? I, not very. I mean, I, I have long 
been of the opinion that like learning the basics of of a lot of this stuff uh, really is not um, really is not rocket science, um, especially for digital digital marketing and advertising. Um, you know, a, a lot of it. I, I, I don't know. I had an epiphany some years back of how much of Martech and ad tech is. Um, it's very very big and fast tallying systems. Mm. It's just it's tallies. It's yeah. like, and they're, they're, they're gigantic tallies. I mean, we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, terabytes and petabytes of, 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 of tallies. But, you know, if you start to break that down, well, tallies are complicated. You can make a tally on a wall, like whatever. You, and, and so, you know, th- that's one aspect of it um, where I think if you build up from kind of core concepts like that, it's really not that that challenging and the, and the technology itself um i mean so much of it still runs on kind of basic web technologies at least if we're thinking about the web um as opposed to mobile or, or other devices um it you know it runs on web technologies that are um now pretty old uh you know http you know the dom javascript you know things like that um these are not these are not new things and so i, I think they're all very learnable and teachable i think one of the big things if I'm thinking, you know, take to say go over to the to the ad tech side. Um, I think one of the big challenges in learning about that side of the business is just the inherent messiness of the advertising industry, where ad tech is a manifestation of the advertising business, mm-hmm. and the advertising business is really dysfunctional. <laughs> And so a lot of the dysfunction or I don't know what you might call it, ambiguity or confusion in the technology itself or the way it works or doesn't work. Sometimes uh, by design. Is, yeah, yeah. No, then that's my point is yeah. that it, it is you, 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 you kind of, you can get yourself tied up in knots trying to learn the ins and outs of these technologies when... The real, the, the the meaningful knowledge was sort of staring you in the face, and it was it was totally just in how the business runs. It really had very little to do with, as I put it, these advanced tallying technologies. Because when you look at the advanced tallying technologies, I mean that's the funny thing about Martech and AdTech is like uh, AdTech in particular. Is you look at these advanced tallying technologies and, and you think. Shouldn't we have perfect insight into what happened? Weren't we taking a tally of literally everything the entire time? And, you know, that's kind of looking at it independent of the fact that it exists in the context of this very, very dysfunctional and kind of like business where just so much stuff is happening in like backroom deals and, and you know, uh, uh, is happening kind of in ways that are utterly disconnected from the way the technology works or is supposed to work. Right. Or even they work different for different parties because of things that have been enabled or disabled. And, you know, th- there's no sort of one way that this... DSP yeah. works or something like that. And because uh, for what it's worth, as you were going through that, I was thinking like, head tech for me is definitely the hardest. And I, I think you were, you know, you were touching some of these notes, but what it comes down for me, uh, it comes down to for me is the fragility of the industry and the number of false starts that are occurring as we think about um, solutions that are sort of designed to replace the deterministic identity and, and, and those kind of components, which I, I, you know, I read a lot of what Google puts out there and, and others. And I, I think I understand this stuff pretty well, but then I'll, every so often I'll see a new solution come along where I'm like, what? I don't even understand how this thing begins or ends or like where this fits in in this space because I, I don't know there's just different li- levels of exposure to what's going on and 
I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm not even trying to solve the right problem, or maybe I'm just second guessing myself and I just stick to my guns. I think that's the hardest part. Is like how how informed do you need to be to make these types of decisions as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even personally pretend to be to have uh, whatever an encyclopedic knowledge of take just the ad tech landscape, let yeah. alone martech at, at at this point. I mean, I, yeah, my, you know, real sort of domain expertise, if you will, is is all around um, kind of web-based or browser-based kind of data collection and, and kind of real-time event-driven stuff and personalization. Um, and when you get beyond some of that stuff, even I get like really hazy, really fast. Um, and so, I mean, it's, this is also getting back to what I was talking about with the, if you want to call it, you know, tech and organizational debt that the industry has built up is that I think we, we have reached a point now where the average professional, whatever, let's like sketch out some brilliant professional who exists in the marketing and advertising industry is now outstripped a human's ability to stay on top of everything. I think it is yeah. it's quite literally impossible. Like it's just not possible for any one human. There are not enough waking hours in yeah. a day, a week, a month, a year to actually stay on top of this stuff. And it doesn't mean that you should like close off the world. I think it just, to your point, Simon, it does beg the question of like, okay, if one person can no longer do this, like mm -hmm. again, go back 30 years and yes, Jim, you said there was a webmaster. There were kind of was one person who just could sort of keep on top of all of it. And now if that's no longer true, like what, you know, what are organizations approaches for making decisions or, you know, with respect to what I do with education, uh, you know, how are you going to solve these problems that come up now that, you know, we have crossed this whatever, you know, Rubicon mm -hmm. where it's just literally not knowable by any one yeah. person anymore. It's almost like you need uh, the establishment of a data master, and that can be the new the, the new in vogue term. And is it, you know, I'll have data master at website.com. Uh, so, so with that that point about like, th there's literally just not enough waking hours for a single human being to kind of keep on top of everything, um, which kind of makes me think back to my earlier point about like everything's you know as, as things grow and become more mature, there's more specialization. So like, if I can't keep track of everything. You know, on you know Google Ads and Facebook Ads and Google Analytics and this tool and that tool and all these other things, then it, you know, I'm going to specialize in just one of those. But that's not always, you know, possible. You might have some people that have to, you know, learn more about everything. Um, you know, smaller companies or you know some some agencies where you just have to be a jack of all trades. Even just maintaining your space in the market, right? Because when we think about folks who became Google Analytics experts and now we shifted to GA4, you're like, whoa. That can make your uh, standing fairly fragile if you're just a you know expert in one place. Yeah, yeah. I, Challenge. See, I, played, I played it perfectly. I I left the Google Analytics consulting part yep. of the company and moved into the data science side right as GA four was coming out. So I'm like, <sighs> skip that one. Oh, perfect. Um, but <laughs> but for the people who uh, don't just uh, cut line and what's that phrase about fishing? Cut line and cut bait and. Something about cutting bait or cutting line. Anyway, for the I people who don't, say cut I, bait, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no bait. idea, but now I'm going to look up some fishing um, analogies. Ew, uh, see, anyway. this is what happens when you try to throw an analogy that you don't know into the conversation. <laughs> anyway, for those people who cut bait, if that's the right phrase, um, 
who can't cut bait, uh, like how do you how do you recommend that they, you know, go about staying on top of these technologies? Because because like to Simon's point, you know, GA four comes out now, and now it's brand new technology. You have to learn. Like th- things are constantly changing. There's new technologies. There's new platforms, tools, things like that. Like what's a what's a good strategy for someone who's in the position? Maybe they're at an agency. Maybe they're in in house at a company, and they need to. They need to have a strategy for how am I going to stay on top of these? What, what would you tell them? You know, so <clears throat> yeah, if, if you set aside the possibility that you can sort of start from your own domain and uh, just sort of like skip to adjacent domains continually until whatever you reach some end state where you've mapped out, I don't know, the entirety of your organization's, you know, MarTech and AdTech stack. If that's no longer possible because there just aren't enough hours in the day, you know, I... I like to boil things down to basic motivations, uh, basic um, 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 measures and KPIs uh, to kind of get, you know, be able to learn about adjacent domains without learning about the technology itself. There's still plenty to learn. You can learn like, okay, there's this adjacent domain. Um, What is it used for? Uh, what basic like metrics um, demonstrate its success or its failure? Who's the person who cares about that success or failure? What are they going to do if it succeeds? What do they do if it fails? You know, and that then leads you into other adjacent things. And you know, you can kind of start to build your own whatever set of dominoes that tip over to some endpoint. Again, whether you're at the business end and you need to get back to the technology end, whether you're at the technology end, you need to get back to the business end, or whatever it is. Um, um, you can eventually build up, um, you know, as I put it earlier, this chain of custody that's, that's not technology based. It's, it's just more based around motivations, uh, for, for, for lack of a better term. So like, that's, that's one of the ways that I like to, um, think about things, especially, you know, which as I do, I don't know, multiple times a week, I assume, uh, um, having to put some, technical concepts into language that is entirely non-technical, like literally completely non-technical, no technical jargon. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a great thought problem. Like, how do you explain this technical concept, but you're not allowed to use a single word of jargon? Do, do and, you have, uh, perhaps uh, an analogy showcase you can share with us? Are there, yeah. are there any top of mind that come to you right now? Just like, here's the way I explained something that just like resonated and there was zero technical in- info included. I mean, I, I published something to LinkedIn just a day or two ago about, uh, you know, an old presentation that I gave at Programmatic IO in late 2019. It was about data clean rooms, which mm. were not yet a thing at that time. I mean, they, they ads data have existed, but uh, they, they just weren't as um, talked about. Uh, uh, and this is, this is less than four years ago, which is kind of nuts. Um, uh, they, they went from being kind of a relatively obscure, uh, topic, uh, with, you know, very, very little, uh, public information about them to a whole, you know, burgeoning niche of the ad tech and martech industry. Um, and that presentation again, because this was a new topic and because, um, I didn't, I, I also just on a personal basis, I don't find it super like emotionally satisfying to give like hyper technical presentations where I just hmm. like bombard people with technical stuff. 
uh, I actually am more kind of like gratified by the challenge of like, well, how do I explain this without being technical? And so um, in that particular case, like one of the ways I explained um, data clean rooms and this notion that you can um, make use of multiple sets of confidential data without leaking any confidential or, or private information is I set up this hypothetical where, you know, there are two, two hypothetical companies. One knows everyone's favorite color and the other one knows everyone's favorite food. Uh, and then there was a visual of kind of like an output table of like, you know, everybody who here's this is, this is how many people uh, whose favorite color is red and favorite food is hot dogs. And it's like eight other people. Favorite color is blue. Favorite food is pizza. There's like 750 people. And so it was just a way of explaining, um, um, how you can have confidential data kind of flowing into the system, but the uh, insights or analytics that are flowing out are entirely privacy preserving. So um, uh, I realize that's not an analogy, um, um, but you know that was just a, an example that's kind of been top of mind for me lately because I just was writing about it on, on on LinkedIn. Yeah, analogies and given an example that is the simplest. Like you, you can't simplify it any further. You, you get it down to just the least number of components of the example to give the example with like, you know, if, if you can do it with something memorable, like food and colors, because um, yep. you know, I'm definitely in the uh, blue pizza group um, and I'm glad there's 700 people. So, you know, I'm, I'm still confident, confident in my yeah. anonymity. No one will know your daddy's secret. <laughs> but yeah, those are and analogies. You know, I love love a good analogy. See, with with, uh, with cleaner, yeah. I've always leaned into the idea of um, and and it's it, the challenge that I, I think I run into is is a, is almost a degree of oversimplification, and mm -hmm. I I because I do feel like you can get too far away from it. In 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 that, I will give an example that folks absolutely understand, but then they go, "So the sap clean room works," and I go, "Well, not quite, because this thing doesn't work, and this thing, you know." And, and so you have to like build up from there. Um, and the example that I've always used is like, let's say the three of us, um. I know a secret. Jim knows a secret, uh, and uh, and you know about somebody else who's not here. Uh, and Miles, you can be our independent third party um, uh, individual here, and I'm going to whisper you my secret. Jim's going to whisper you his, and you're going to let us know if those secrets are the same secret. And then Jim and I can talk about it openly, or if they're not, you say nope, no, no, no dice. And I've got like 500 secrets, so I'm a I'm a pretty big gossip. Uh, and, you know, J Jim's got even more, all about all his friends that like blue pizza. So, you know, there, there, there's you know, a good amount of overlap there. And that is essentially how a clean room operates. But when I share that type of analogy, I run into the, oh, so it's like, you can just like use, like you can extract things out of this and you can talk about these things. And I'm like, well, no, not quite. Like it needs to be in a way that is still like preserving the privacy. And I only know it in aggregate. So it's not like I know that one secret. I actually just know like 500 secrets and we don't actually know like completely which ones. It, yeah, it's complicated. I, well, you know, I, I think like clean rooms in particular are, um, and this applies to like many different um, technological concepts. If you're trying to explain them to somebody who's not even non-technical, they just maybe don't have the domain expertise in right. that particular technology. Explain is, it to uh, like a, a, a data capture engineer even, right? Like yeah. they, they just don't sit in this realm. They're like, I just, it, I just, you know, I dig the hole. Somebody else fills it in. Yeah, well, and I think the thing with, you know, that's, that's powerful about analogies is there's like a couple of different layers to why someone needs to, or is compelled to know something. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you may need it for your job, but a lot of times if you can explain um, some whatever arcane concept with an analogy, 
like 90% of someone's like further need to know just evaporates. They're just like, oh, mm-hmm. I get it. Now yep. I don't actually care about all the technical stuff because right. I, that's not actually relevant to what I need right now. But sure. until you explain the analogy to me, I was just like hammering you of like, give me the, right. you know, the schematics, give me all the the documentation. Where's your API? Where's this? Where's this? And you, you know, you like make it all go away with like, you know, a car analogy. Yeah, right. Well, and cleaners are a great example of that too, because I, I have had a lot of CMOs come to me and say, we need to invest in cleaners. And I've gone, well, let, let, let's not prescribe the, the the medicine before I can actually diagnose the symptoms. And right. you know, it's like going to a doctor and saying, I have cancer. And the doctor's like, hold on, hold on. Let's actually just talk through what the actual, like, are you feeling sick? Are you throwing up? And you're like, I will be the, I'll be the one doing the diagnosis here. And I think oftentimes, like, it's like we have prescription medication ads on TV. And you see that and you come in and be like, I need this drug right now. And you're like, no, you, you, you've skipped the point of understanding about what it does. And, and the, the, the problem you have is, is not solved by this. Although clean rooms, I think, are particularly difficult because they do have so many use cases that even when I started thinking about clean rooms, I was amazed by the use cases I was just stumbling upon without even sort of talking about with folks. And then I would chat with folks and I'd be like, oh my God, you're right. It's so much wider than I think. Like, you know, private conversion lift, like those kind of things that are incredibly interesting. Yeah. I mean, at least in terms of, you know, if we're thinking about like uh, data clean room use cases, and this could be applied to many different technologies, but it's, it's, I think getting to the point where um, it is a, it's essentially a raw material of the advertising and marketing world or analytics world or ad tech world or digital media world where you know saying oh well what are all the use cases for it and that's kind of like asking somebody well what are all the use cases for html right. i don't know <laughs> yeah right <laughs> I, it's a raw material I don't, yeah <laughs> uh so anyway no that's, that's just interesting to think about kind of because i i you know i go through the same thing of of like you know, you you rack your brain thinking about something like data cleaners yeah. or some other, you know, type of technology or I don't know, cloud technology or something like that. You're trying to think, oh, what are all the different ways? What's the sort of exhaustive list of ways that this could be employed or possible ways I might need to explain this thing? And, um, you know, it sometimes pays to just be honest with yourself of just like, it's infinite. <laughs> yeah. I can talk about maybe the top three or something in the top five, but, but this comes, it's infinite. Right. I mean, this comes back to one of the early points. And the, the most important part is not necessarily getting into the technical weeds. It's the concept. And that's what yeah. so many folks fail on. And, and so many of the yeah. classes and courses out there that you see are, um, you know, JavaScript for digital marketing. And like those are awesome and they have a place and they have a value. But to get to that point, you've really got to understand the overarching concept. Otherwise, all you do is just go deeper and deeper in that hole and you lose that ability to flex across the two cities. Yeah, that was a really mixed analogy. That was like five different stories all in the one right there. Wow. Speaking of analogies, I hate to be the the grumpy old man on his front porch screaming at the kids to get off his lawn. Cutting bait. But we do have, and, and cutting my bait. Like doing it. But we do we do have to start wrapping up, uh, unfortunately. But uh, before we do go, we have something that we like to call the incremental insight at the end Ooh. of the show, where uh, we like to ask our guests uh, to. Give our listeners something to walk away with, something that they can, you know, that makes a light bulb go off in their head, or something that they can say, okay, that's a that's a good article. I'm going to go read or listen to listen to this other podcast. Something that you have found to be very useful, and yeah. I think our listeners will also. Uh, Miles, do you have uh, you have an incremental uh, insight for our, our listeners? I don't know if I'd call it an insight. It's incremental. Uh, uh, I think it's insightful. I think it's interesting. So, um, a 
I don't ask me why. I honestly don't remember. Um, a couple of weeks ago, for some reason, I started pondering like how um, companies used to store information like in paper files and filing cabinets. And <laughs> I just got to thinking like, wow, you know, they probably were pretty sophisticated about it because they didn't have any computers. Like their paper files were literally, that was the totality of, of their information storage. Hey, there the was no alternative. To go around the building with the, with the, the suction. Yeah, the little pneumatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, um, um, no, like they, there was, you know, very, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, yes, there must have been just very, very sophisticated kind of information architecture back then. So anyway, I have it here on the table. I bought ah. this book. I did some Googling on the topic and there was very, very little information that is Googleable <laughs> about this topic, but I bought this. I book. would imagine there'd be thousands of people uh, wanting to learn about filing cabinets. The Filing Cabinet, A Vertical History of Information. Oh, I love that title. As boring as I would hope it would be. <laughs> yeah, a guy named Craig Robertson, who was, I think, a professor or something at my alma mater, Northeastern in Boston. Um, um, super interesting book. And so I will share with you one specific thing that I learned in this book that is technology related. Uh, so I learned that um, what we know as... Uh, flat files, so digital flat files, whatever, a, a .txt file or something like that. The origins of that name actually date back to paper filing in like the 1800s. Oh my uh, gosh. You used to have, yeah, you used to have something called flat letter files or just flat oh my God. files. And uh, the way that um, companies used to store, I'll call it data. That was, this was data to them. It was pieces of paper to us, but to them it was data. Um, they would store correspondence typically, uh, chronologically. So it would be in this giant flat binder. And if you go to like antique shops and find old filing cabinets, if they're old enough, like say a hundred plus years old, they might be flat because you would store these things uh, 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 in, a, in a flat format, in these flat binders. And then wow. you would have to go through just like an actual flat, a digital flat file. If you want a piece of information, if you don't already know where it is in that stack, you just got to start flipping through the stack page um, by page because there's no index, right? Nothing's indexed. You just have to essentially read the entire thing into memory. So anyway, that's the origin of the flat file was, was there was where there were these actual uh, giant flat binder things uh, called flat letter files. And that's why this book is called A Vertical History of Information is because it actually was a thing <laughs> when the paper was turned up vertically. Like if you Amazing. move an old, this, this book has like old advertisements for filing cabinets and it literally advertises vertical filing as opposed to flat filing. So anyway, that's your tidbit of weird, esoteric tech history for today. I love it. Wow. I, I imagine then they also took some spreadsheets and put them on top of each other, and that's how they formed the data stack. Where's my sound effect? There we go. There we go. Sorry, I was a little late on the draw there. <laughs> oh, man. No, that I love this kind of esoteric. Uh, I I didn't plan this, Simon. I wasn't planning on having a, an incremental insight, and this isn't even really an insight, but uh, just a little piece of of history today. When we're recording September nineteenth, forty one years ago today, the smiley emoticon was first used. 
Oh, wow. And officially, the Smiley Emoticon is uh, semicolon, not semicolon, uh, colon, followed by a dash. It does include the oh, nose. Then course. parentheses for the smile, yeah. I, think I that- sometimes wish that the nose was still included because there are a number of times where perhaps there'll be, I'll have some code on Slack and I will have the, the, the colon with the parentheses and it will convert to a smiley face when really I'm like, no, 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 that's literally how the URL is formed. Uh, I, and now I look like I'm ridiculous by having a little smiley face and there, a little poop over here. You know how it goes. Uh, wonderful. I mean, uh, Miles, uh, thank you so much for coming on. You are such a wealth of information. What you are doing for the industry is, is so so important in, in in not that you're teaching people the you know the, the the deep subject matter here you are doing that but you're really teaching people how to think and how to frame up concepts and i think that is such a core uh mission that, that we you know we, both jim and i um as part of the what we connected over originally was just uh curiosity and how we learn things and how we how we can share this out and i know you're doing so much great stuff there so if i could just give you a, a shout out to go follow uh miles out there on twitter and on linkedin he is prolific so as soon as you start following him, you'll probably see like four or five posts in his feed. Um, I don't think the meatball sub content is coming uh, that frequently these days, but uh, I saw one, you, you're talking a lot about AI, you're talking about all these all these really interesting things. So it's definitely a worthwhile follow. Excellent. Yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks a lot, Simon. And if anyone else uh, wants to connect with you or wants to learn a little bit more about U of Digital or, or uh, reach out to you, how would they do that, Miles? Yeah, so U of Digital, you go to U of Digital, U-O-F dot Digital. And yeah, me personally, I am... To Simon's point, very, very findable on LinkedIn and uh, and Twitter. Awesome. And uh, links in the show note, as they say. Awesome. And then do they also say like and subscribe? Oh, yeah. Smash that, smash that like button. Smash that like button. <laughs> um, I, this is, like, I feel like I'm doing uh, podcast cosplay right now. Uh, that, 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 that's, that's, that, this has been a blast. So thank you so much awesome. for, for being uh, such a wonderful guest for, for my first uh, uh, um, pod with, uh, with Jim here. And Jim, thank you just so much again for inviting me to be part of the show and I, I can't wait to see what our uh, relationship and, and, and how we grow this together. Absolutely. Yeah, Jim and Simon both. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Thanks, Thank Miles. You. And everyone else, we'll see you in two weeks. Well, my friend, you've made it to the end of the show, which means you either found it so riveting you couldn't turn it off or you're out for a jog and you can't easily hit the skip button on your phone. Either way, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would find it helpful. And please, as a personal favor to me, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this and leave a rating and review. That helps others find us, but more importantly, shows that you're a thought leader who cares about your craft and wants others to join this tribe. 